All right, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 127. We're going to start here today. And I'm going to talk to you today about building the house. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your gospel, that you would renew our minds with the washing of the water of your word, that you would bring transformation to our hearts and minds, that you would conform us you would equip us for the work of ministry that you have called every saint, every child of God. You've called us into this work. You've called us for your glory. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Building the house. The Lord is building and the Lord is watching. That's what this verse says. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord guards the city. But notice there are laborers and there are watchmen. Unless the Lord builds the house. Jesus says, recorded in Matthew chapter 18... Let's just go go there. Actually, I think it's Matthew 16. When Jesus responds to Peter's answer to a question, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Verse 16, Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that, I, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to see the certainty of what Jesus says in verse 18. I will build my church. God is building. The Lord is building the house. But he doesn't build the house apart from laborers. You and I are the laborers that God is using, utilizing for his building. So let's talk about our labor. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15, Solomon writes this, and he says, when we leave this earth, basically this is what he says, when we leave this earth, we will take nothing of our labor which we may carry away in our hand. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about the vanity of all that we do. Solomon is not saying that to leave us hopeless, that there's no point to anything we do in this life. But the point is to understand that we can build in a way that is pointless. We can live in a way that is pointless. We can do things that are vain. So the point of what Solomon is writing here in Ecclesiastes is not that we should never labor, the point is that we should is is that we should approach approach our labor correctly. We should consider our labor, view our labor. We should labor correctly with the right attitude and the right understanding and the right mindset. John 6:27, Jesus says, "Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Each one's work 
will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So it's not whether we labor, but it's how and of what sort of labor we are participating in, that we are working and laboring in. And what is the purpose of our labor? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Solomon writes about the vanity of much of what we do, but Paul says that our labor in the Lord, our work in the Lord is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our work in the Lord is not in vain. All of our work needs to be understood in this way, that our work flows from the work of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor, labor in vain. The Lord has promised that he will build his church. And I think we all understand that's not talking about a building. Though it can involve building. Here we are, the church inside this building. Last time I checked, it was raining outside. So I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for having our service in the building, under a roof, and not in the rain. So I'm really happy it's raining because we need it really bad. The promise Jesus gives that he will build the church, we begin to understand, involves a lot of things and a lot of people. So our work must be understood to flow from the work of the Lord. Therefore, all of our work, all that we do, we need to understand flows back into the work of the Lord. Our work flows from the work of the Lord, and our work flows back into the work of the Lord. So what are you doing that's separate and apart from the work of the Lord? Well, in one sense, you're not doing anything separate and apart from the work of the Lord. That doesn't mean that what you're endeavoring to do and what you're, what you're working on isn't vain. It could be. But here's the grace of God for his children. God won't leave you in that place of vanity. God won't leave you working on things that are vain because he loves you too much to allow you to do that. So one way or the other, the work that we work flows from God and it is going to ultimately flow back into the work of the Lord. So we need to understand our work. The Bible has a lot to say about work and labor. And we need to understand our work. Our understanding of the work that we're called to helps set the priority of our life so that our primary work is the work of ministry in the gospel. Now this is true whether it's in our homes or it's in our work or careers, whether it's at school or at play, wherever we are and whatever we are doing, our first priority is the worship of God the gospel, and the work of ministry that it calls us to. So I'm a pastor. I'm not the only one here called to the work of ministry. I'm called to be a pastor. But I'm like you. I'm a, I'm a saint. I'm a child of God by God's grace. And that means that I am, not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a child of God, I am called to the work of ministry. My specific vocation as a pastor is defined for us in the scripture. 
Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, here's the answer, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Why did Jesus give pastors to the church? The answer is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Who's called to the work of ministry? The saints are. Who's a saint? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a saint. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. That's not a definition of the moral quality of your life. That's a definition of your standing before God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Equipping you for the work of ministry is equipping you to build up the body, to come to maturity, to the fullness of to the full measure of who Christ is, to come to a full-grown man. Who's the body? Who's the body of Christ? If you're the body, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Do you count yourself in Christ? Do you trust in Jesus? Do you consider yourself a child of God? You're the body of Christ. The work of ministry, the equipping for the work of ministry is for the building up of the body. Oftentimes people tell me, well, I don't have to go to church to have a relationship with God. As if going to church or not going to church is all about me. That's not the point. Going to church is not just about you having a relationship with God. Going to church is not just about what you get out of it. We are the body. Jesus gave gifts to the body so that the body could be equipped, so that the body could do the work of ministry, so that in that work of ministry, the body is being built up. There's a maturity taking place, and we come to this place of fullness. And we come there how? We come there together. Did you... Did, just real practically speaking, when you came here today, did you and your body come together? Anybody leave their hand at home, their foot at home? Oh, man, I left my leg at home again. I hate it when I do that. No, you don't ever worry about that, do you? Because you're all together. You're put together. I know some of you ladies say, man, I'm just not very put together today. No, you really, you're put together. Because you all came and all your body came with you. Why, why did God make us that way? Because, because he made us that way to give us a picture of what we ultimately are supposed to be in Christ. We're supposed to be one body, the same, just, just as your physical body is one. And when your physical body's not one, there's an issue, there's a problem. You go to the doctor. Go to the hospital. Go to the emergency room, depending on what's happened. Paul writes and he says, Jesus has given these gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry involves the building up of the body. The work of ministry involves coming to the unity of the faith, coming to the knowledge of the Son of God, coming to a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You participate in that when you come here. You nurture that. You provide that flow from the body to the body. Each joint supplying what the other needs. You, you do that. Do you see that? Do you understand that? I pray that you do. That you understand how important that is. 
So this manifests in very practical ways when we talk about understanding our work or understanding the work of ministry that God has called us to. It manifests in very practical ways. I think most importantly, it manifests in the witness of our worship through a purposeful lifestyle. That you are living with purpose. That you are purposefully doing things that give witness to your worship of God. It manifests in our interaction with people in love and in truth. It manifests in how we do all as unto the Lord. Paul says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And we do this in our daily life, in the most mundane tasks of life to the, you know, big thing. The the rare, the extraordinary things, the things that we don't do every day. We like to focus on those things. But what's really most important is the little things, the daily things, that that really make up the sum total of our life. It manifests in being known as a diligent, faithful, and committed person in all that we do and in in all of our relationships. And this is by His grace. It's not by our power. It's through our willingness by His power that works in us. God wants you to willingly worship Him. God wants you to willingly be faithful and committed in your relationships and in your dealings and your daily activities. And He provides the grace and He provides the power that works through our willingness, that works in us to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Remember, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. Paul is telling us, work it out. There's a willingness that needs to be there. That I am willingly walking in these things. I am willingly manifesting these things. I am actively praying for the fruit of His Spirit to be manifest in my life, through my life, to be known by others that I encounter. Understanding that that even though there's a willingness in me, that it is God working in me ultimately it is his grace it is his power that is causing these things to be manifest in my life and he does this according to his good pleasure if we don't understand this then we don't truly understand the work that he calls us to because the work of ministry is not some work God calls me to to climb the ladder of salvation the work of ministry that God calls me to is really its me living out my life. On Sunday mornings, it involves me standing up here preaching to you. But it's all kinds of things. For you, it's all kinds of things. It touches every aspect of our life. It, 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 it permeates, let me say this, it permeates every aspect of our life. So we need to understand our work. Now, I don't know where each of you work and what your employment's like. Some of you say, well, I work a 40-hour work week, and when I, my 40 hours is up, I don't take my job home with me. When I clock out on Friday, I'm done. My work is done until Monday. That's really not how the kingdom works. That's not how the work of ministry works. And if you think about the work of the kingdom, if you think about the work we do in the Lord as punching a clock at your job, mm, it's not going to be real good. It's not going to be real productive. It's probably going to be more negative associated with that than positive, possibly. We're talking about our life. 
Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. When we talk about life, that's a good thing. When we talk about abundance, that's even better. The abundant life Jesus came to give us, to provide for us, is a good thing. And we want that abundant life. The problem is we oftentimes segregate when I'm living in the abundant life of Jesus and when I'm over here doing this. But if you're in Christ, you are never not living in His abundant life. If you're in Christ, you're never not doing the work of ministry. If you're in Christ, you're, you're never not laboring in the Lord. The question is, do you understand that? Do you, do you see that? So when you're doing the most mundane tasks you can think of, when you're doing the very thing that you hate to do most, that you have to do every day, do you think of it in terms of doing it as unto the Lord? Do you think of it in terms of doing it in the Lord? Do you see the connection? Or if you can't see the connection, do you know that there is a connection between that work, that task, and and the work of the Lord, and the work of ministry, and how God uses your life, and uses the things within your life, and around your life, to mold us, and to shape us, and to enable us to give witness in ways that maybe are not obvious to us. So we need to understand our work, we also need to understand our witness. Understanding our work in Christ is vital for understanding our witness to Christ. These things pertaining to our life and work are vital parts of our witness. So that even when people will disagree with our stand in the truth, they cannot legitimately question our faith in Christ as demonstrated through our godly character or our integrity or our truth and love. We're called to the work of ministry. We're called to be equipped for the work of ministry so that we give witness to Christ organically and purposefully out of the natural flow of our life and our life's work. This is not a mechanical thing. This is an organic thing. What, what in the heck does that mean? I, I just said live your life purposefully. But let, let God dictate the flow of your life. Invite Him to do that. Rest in His ability and His sovereignty to just govern the flow of your life. And let the life of Christ that's in you just come out of you. But also understand that as you walk through this life, and you walk through various situations and various circumstances, you need to walk with purpose. You need to walk with an awareness of Christ in you, your hope of glory. You need to walk with an awareness that, that Christ will manifest through your life as a witness to His glory. That's why we're here. We exist for His glory. We were created and put here for his purposes. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, works through our gospel-centered lifestyle, in our gospel-centered words, in our gospel-centered work. Well, that begs a question, doesn't it? Is your lifestyle gospel-centered? Are your words gospel-centered? Is your work gospel-centered? And you understand this has nothing to do with whether your employment is secular or not. Whether you're allowed to talk about Jesus on your job or not. Well, my work can't be gospel-centered because they won't let me talk about Jesus on my job. No, that has nothing to do with it. 
your work can be gospel-centered. That's how you do your work, the attitude with which you do your work, the purpose behind doing your work the way you do it. Why are you interacting with the people in your work the way you interact with them? Is it to promote his glory? Is it to demonstrate the gospel and the glory of God? Or is it all about you? Are are you willing to lay your life down in the midst of your work so that he can be exalted? And when we do this, when we, when we realize that God works through the power of His Spirit, through our gospel-centeredness, He works in His way and in His time, and He brings about a transforming revelation of Christ in the hearts and the minds of those people that God has placed in and around our life. why one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Our ability to be long-suffering with people is important because through our long-suffering with people, our witness is sustained. The love of Christ, the joy we have, the peace we have, that, that is sustained through our ability to be long-suffering. Just like God is long-suffering with us. How many of you think God should have got fed up with you a long time ago and just... <laughs> the way I feel. Should have. But why hasn't God done that? Well, the Bible says he hasn't done that, not because we haven't given him reason to shoo us away. The reason he hasn't done that is because he's long-suffering. And if God is long-suffering, what does God want his children to be? He wants his children to be long-suffering. If everybody was the type person that you didn't have to have patience with, which we want everyone to be like that, right? We want everyone to be people that we don't have to exercise patience with. Then we wouldn't need patience, would we? But we do need patience. Because fundamentally, people are such that we tend to lose our patience. We get frustrated. We get irritated. If God was like us, we would have frustrated and irritated God long ago. So much so that we wouldn't even be here right now. He would have already just destroyed everyone and everything. But he didn't do that. He doesn't do that. Because he's long-suffering. And thank God that he is. And so our ability to manifest those attributes of God have a direct impact on our witness. So we see God working through our own lives, through our ability to manifest those characteristics of God. We see God working in the hearts and the minds of those people that God has placed around us who continuously tempt us perhaps to not be long-suffering to not be loving. This is the work of ministry. This is what I'm talking to you about, the work of ministry. This is what God calls you to. You need to be equipped for that. You need to understand why should you be long-suffering? Well, because God's long-suffering with you. Why should I be long-suffering? Because God is extremely long-suffering with me. Why should I forgive others? Because God has forgiven me. 
Why should I love others? Because God has loved me. Has God done all of that for me because I deserve it? Absolutely not. Do we do that for other people because they deserve it? No, we don't. We give grace the way we have received grace. Undeserved favor. So when God works, he works in very obvious ways. But he also works in very obscure ways. When God does his work, he does it gradually and he does it suddenly. God works quietly in unseen ways and he works loudly and violently, rending our hearts the way he rent the heavens and the earth at the cross. However God chooses, he works with a power that is able to shatter the rock-hard earth of our hearts or move us with the gentleness of a summer breeze. Either way or both, God is always working and he is always working in all directions. When you think God's working on you, don't ever believe the lie that he's only working in one direction. When God works in us, you better know that he's working in those around you. And he's using you to do his work in those around you, just like he's using them to do his work in us. If we don't understand this about God's work, if we don't understand this about our work that God calls us to, we're going to lose heart, we're going to lose patience, we're going to not be long-suffering, because things aren't always going to go the way we want them to go. People aren't always going to be the way we want them to be. And this is part of being equipped for the work of ministry because the work of ministry involves people. The work of ministry is about people. It's about living stones. It's about flesh and blood and spirit. It's about sin. It's about all the unpleasant things. It's about all the things we don't like. It's about the things that we want to escape from. But, but the work of ministry is not about those things that we want it to be about. It is about all the things that we don't like it to be about. This is why we need to be equipped to do it. And that equipping is simply us becoming more like Christ. That equipping is simply us conforming more and more to the image of the Son. And pastors and teachers can help facilitate that, but only the Holy Spirit working in you can actually change you, can actually conform you, can actually make you more like Jesus. So God is always working, and He's always working in all directions. He works in us and in others. He works from us, and He works to us. He works in us, and He works through us. He works in all directions, all at once. His work is always by His Spirit, and He is never not working. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul writes that for us, recorded in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen in the day of Jesus Christ? John writes it like this. He says, we do not know what we shall be, but we, when we see him, we shall be as he is. Paul says, God has begun a good work in you, and he will complete it even until the day of Jesus, until Jesus splits that sky open and we see him face to face. 
God is not going to stop working. And that day when you see him face to face, then you will be like him. John writes, we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what that's going to be like. But here's what we know. We shall be like him. God has made a promise that he will not give up on you. Even if you're tempted to give up on him. He will complete the work. Because God wants our work and our witness to be for his glory. So in that sense, our work and our witness is secure in Christ. You are called to be assured of the work that he has begun in you. And in that assurance given to us by his grace, we are able and we are to walk accordingly. We are to walk boldly and we are to walk with humble confidence in the promise he gives us in his grace. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.8, You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He writes in Romans 6.11, Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He writes in Romans 12.1 and 2, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to just pause for a moment. I want you to consider Paul's statement there in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Can you picture that? What is a sacrifice? You, You understand Paul's word picture he's painting here. He's painting a picture of the temple that still existed when he wrote this letter to the Romans. And in Jerusalem, there was the temple. And in the temple, there was the the court where the altar was. The priests would go up, and they would go into that inner court. And in that inner court, there was the altar where they would take the sacrificed animals, put them up on that altar, and they'd burn them and offer them to God. Paul says, brothers... I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Holy. Acceptable to Him. No sacrifice was ever put on that altar and all of a sudden when they got ready to put the fire to it, said, whoa, wait a minute, I'm out of here. You didn't tell me you were going to burn me. The sacrifice doesn't walk off the altar. When the sacrifice is put on the altar, you know what its condition is? It's already been slain. It's dead. They put that, they put that thing up there. It's picture of us totally and completely given over to God's purposes as an act of worship that is your reasonable service or that is your reasonable act of worship see when we come to church and we think coming to church is about us and what we're going to get out of it, or we think, well, I don't really have to come to church to have a relationship with God. We're, we're, missing, we're missing the picture here. You should get something out of it when you come. But you're here. Paul says, you're a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You've been put up on the altar, and you have been put there for God. You've been slain for God. You've been 
offered to God. And his desire is that you be consumed for his glory. Doesn't that sound wonderful? God sent this rain today because he wanted me to finish the sermon. This is raining way too hard for you guys to go anywhere right now. We're called to walk out our witness, to live it out on the ground. It can't be lip service. It's an actual walking out. It's in word and it's in deed. To be a witness is a call upon our life that requires all. Living sacrifices. We're called to become living sacrifices to willingly and joyfully lay down our life for the gospel and the work of ministry and to do that for the glory of God. So we understand the work, we understand our witness, we need to understand that there is a cost involved with this. Do you know that the word witness means, it actually is the word martyr. Everywhere you see the word witness in your Bible, you could, you could translate it martyr because it's the same word. The Greek word for witness that's translated witness is the same English word that means martyr. Witness and martyr are the same. When you hear the word martyr, what do you think of? Someone who, whose physical life was taken for the sake of the gospel. When you hear the word witness, you think of those people that knock on your door and annoy you just at supper time who want to come and give you a piece of paper and invite you to their cult. Right? You see what we've done? You see how we have... We've allowed the world to shape our, the way we even think about the meaning of what the Bible says. The word witness is the word we know as martyr. A witness is a martyr. Yes, we are literally called martyrs. We're called to lay down our life and to take up the cross. The power to lay down your life does not come from you. You need to understand this. The power for you to lay down your life does not come from you. It comes from God. It comes from outside of you. And it fills you from the inside out. Jesus commanded His disciples to go and to wait for the promise of the Father. And as He commanded His disciples, we too should wait and seek for the promise of power. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to lay down our life. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to take up the cross. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to be witnesses, to be martyrs for Christ. Acts chapter 1, verses 4-8, through 8, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, you shall be martyrs to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Being a martyr means a change in lifestyle. It means a reprioritizing and a reordering of our life in such a way that the worship of God and the witness of Christ becomes the primary expression and expenditure of our time, our talent, and our treasure. God brings this about in His way and in His time, working through our obedience, yes, working through our disobedience. For some, being a martyr does mean that there will be a giving a laying down of their physical life. But I want you to understand the Bible calls each and every one of us to be a martyr, to be a witness to Christ. In one way or the other, we will lay down our life. The call to be a witness is a call to Christ. 
call to lose all and to follow him. That is the cost. For some, the loss is more pronounced, but for all, the call is the same. Anyone who desires to come after Christ is commanded to take up the cross daily and follow him. The work of the cross is death, but through death comes resurrection. Never, ever, ever lose sight of resurrection. Luke 9.23-26, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes into his own glory and that of his Father and the holy angels. Ultimately, listen church, ultimately God determines how our martyrdom will be manifest. By laying our life down, this is how we follow Christ. This is how we do the work of ministry. It is a laying down of our life. And the laying down of our life is not an option for the child of God. We are called to lose our life and to follow Jesus. Through our death and in the cross, we ultimately find true and abundant life with joy in Christ. You've got to know that, church. That's why it's important to read all the Scripture. Don't just read the good parts. Read all of it. Read the hard truth, but know at the end of everything God has promised, joy, life abundant, in His presence is fullness of joy, and that joy is unspeakable and full of glory, the Bible says. (laughs) Through our death in the cross, we find that life, the gospel of salvation goes forth, and God is supremely glorified. And all of this is a work of grace. We will all be brought to this and we will all walk in this by the grace of God. As we trust in Him, as we submit our will under His will, as we obey His leading as revealed in His Word and by His Spirit. In His Word and by His Spirit. It's not just based on our feelings. You better know what God's Word says. You better know how to hear the voice of His Spirit as revealed through His will given to us in the Scripture. So we need to understand the cost. It cost us everything, but but we need to understand the benefit. God never stops at the cost. There's always a benefit associated with any cost. Jesus did not die on the cross, period, the end. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day He resurrected. There's always hope. There's always hope. The cross cost Jesus His life. But God didn't stop at the cross. He conquered the loss of the cross through the power of the resurrection with life abundant and eternal. The Lord is building His house. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. We're going to talk some more about this next week. And the point is this. There is work to be done. There is building to take place. We've got to make a transition from just coming to church or looking to God to solve our problems to understanding that God wants you to be a laborer that He will use to build His house and to build His kingdom. That you are a living stone that God is placing as He is building.
And he is building, the Bible says, a habitation of God in the Spirit. You and I are that habitation. And out of that habitation, God gives witness. And that witness of the gospel is the witness that has the power to see men saved. And I want you to begin to see that in a more real, I want you to think of that in a more conscious and a more purposeful way. That you're not just here on this earth getting by and depending on God to help you get by. But you're here, created for His glory, placed in a specific place at a specific time for a specific purpose for His glory. And if you don't know what that is, then you begin to cry out to God. You begin to search the Scripture. You begin to ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you the wisdom that you need. Jesus says this in Matthew's Gospel, verse 6, Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We spend a lot of time seeking the things, and the Bible says seek the kingdom and its righteousness, and then God will add the things. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. Seek His kingdom. Seek His righteousness. And trust His promises. He'll add what needs to be added. See yourself as existing, created for His glory. And you're here for that purpose. Not just here, but you're here. The Lord is building the house. Let's be laborers that join in His labor so that our work is not in vain. Alright? Let's come to the table and we'll continue this conversation next week.